History's timeline is a map that shows us the path that gets us from point A to point B. The great thing about timelines is they make sense. Point A, humans domesticate horses. Point B, humans begin to travel greater distances. There's something almost calming, cathartic even, about everything fitting nicely into its place on a timeline. It brings order from chaos. It separates the signal from the noise. But every so often, we find an anomaly on our nice, straight timeline. A glitch in the matrix that doesn't fit where it should. Technology or know-how that just isn't right for the time period it dates back to. Such is the case for tonight's topic, the Antikythera Mechanism. Many refer to it as the world's first analog computer. And no matter how you classify it, it certainly doesn't fit the time frame it dates back to. How did the ancient Greeks create a mechanism so advanced that another example of its intricacies wouldn't be found in the world for another century and a half? We attempt to get to the bottom of it, or at least blame the aliens next on Hysteria 51. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Not crazy. This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that has never built a fully functional computing machine that can output correct data. This is Hysteria 51. Wait a second. (laughs) I think you might have picked up on that. We are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago, and we're your hosts and lead engineers on this investigation into the mysterious. He's Brent Hand, and I'm John Goforth. Mysterious is right, John. How the hell do you pronounce this thing? Antikythera, 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 Gozer, <laughs> Zozo, Zozo, Cthulhu. One of those is so many probably options. right. Yeah, I'm still stuck on that part about the podcast having never built a functional computing machine before. <laughs> Assuming you believe the origin story you guys put out there, obviously that's a jab at me. That he's right. That <laughs> other voice you're hearing is the third host of this show, and certainly the most self-absorbed, the one and only conspiracy bot. I like me for me, not because I hang with Leonardo or that guy who played in Fargo. I think his name is Steve. <laughs> Just quote Blessed Union of Souls. <laughs> He did. <laughs> anyway, I built this bucket of balls to help me produce the show. Instead, all he produces is inane 90s references and large barbells. I've seen those. Yes. Hey, I have just as many inane 2000s references. Don't sell me short. <laughs> I, I have no doubt. Seabot, I want to go back to your original complaint here. Uh, when have you ever output accurate data? That was the key word there. When I said your dog was dead and it made me happy. Also, when I tell you every time I kill a neighborhood cat, oh, and don't forget the most important one, when I tell you you're all idiots. I feel like we shouldn't even bother. Probably for the best. <sighs> he was talking about you, you idiot, not me. <laughs> anyway, speaking of buckets of bolts, tonight's topic, some people, the Antikythera device or Antikythera, however you want to say there it. There literally is debate over, over which one know, is correct. Yeah. Some people refer to it as the world's first computer. Which leads me to the question of the night. What was your first computer? Well, I'm a, the ageless one, so I originally powered my mine with the Baghdad battery, and it was it was just, you know, 
the 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 sky people gave it to me and so you you powered it with the baghdad what did it do i'd tell you but it was lost to the ages i'm just these are buzzwords that i i found while looking up uh history of the <laughs> now so my first computer really uh it was a zeos you remember zeos i don't okay so they were they were actually a higher end computer we had a friend macalina and his father very early on was into computer well he was a nuclear physicist literally Looked like Stanton Friedman. He did. He yeah, literally yeah. looked like like they were like they went to the same barber. So anyway, he gave me a bunch of parts, and then my neighbor at the time who built computers built me one, and it was a Zeos machine. And um, so around what year is this? Ninety. So er, pretty you, early. So you're talking. It had like a the, tape backup like a, machine, like a two eighty six, maybe. Oh, probably so. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I always think back to my first computer, and I always when, if somebody asks me, you know, what was your first computer? My I normally think back to the computer I had that I actually did th- a bunch of different things on word processing, maybe even got on dial up internet. Hold or- on, are you talking about the monster? Yes, I am. Oh my god! Yeah, the, uh, the, it was a uh, Insight was the computer company, which I don't think exists anymore. And for you geeks out there, remember when they they broke them down by tower? So you had a, a mid tower, a mini tower, a tower. This is like a tower and a half. <laughs> like a full it's tower. a server size. Yeah. Literally, it was a server. It was in a server case. And it was a behemoth. Like, also, from performance-wise, mm-hmm. it was a Pentium 1. Yeah. And yeah. remember when those things first came out? Yeah, I remember. And I remember how you were so proud of it. You just let your cigarettes that you're smoking at, like, 11 burn on it. And <laughs> that and the phone on top of it, it was just covered in ashes. <laughs> and what's this stuff? Incense, Mom. It's incense. It's we incense. We're burning incense in here. <laughs> those weren't cigarettes. Those were joints. Get it right. <laughs> All right, so so but but this thing, I mean, it was it was really powerful. It was cool and all that. Uh, I, I was really proud of it. Played a lot of the earlier games on it, but that was not my first computer. Mm-hmm. I had a Commodore sixty four, which right, is so a personal computer. We had a TI ninety nine. Um, not the is that a is that a handheld calculator? Right. It sounds like it would be a calculator, but it was the all in one. You had your gaming system. You could put your cassettes into it. Had the full keyboard and it came with. I, I had Hunt the Wumpus was one of the first games. So I guess technically that was a. Computer. I thought that was a game you played with producer Lisa. That's right. Uh, you found him. <laughs> <laughs> she loses a lot at that game, unfortunately for her. <laughs> no, but it was just this this black and silver monstrosity, you know, and it played similarly to like the early Atari. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, but it was much more than like an, an Atari twenty six hundred. A lot of people had those Amiga machines. Remember how badass those were? Oh, yeah. Like I was so jealous, you know, and and you you know your your Commodore sixty four. Well, you know? you know, the Commodore sixty four was a lot of fun, and I, I mean, it was kind of like an early learning machine. You didn't realize you were learning. There was a, a program you had to run code just to start something, just to start a yeah. game. You know, star dot star run. Um, it, it came with a programming book, which myself and my neighbor at the time both dug into. Which and is really we would, weird because he's a 43-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> Come to my basement. Come on, I'll show you my Commodore. No, it, he was he was my age. And we dug into those programming books, and we actually wrote our own games. They were text-based. I didn't get into sprites. Which is why your parents made you guys stop hanging out, because your games were always Tickle Fight and uh, <laughs> Who's in My Mouth. It feels like you really want me to have had gay sex with my neighbor at the time. I just want you to be okay <laughs> with it. <laughs> when this is only a story about coding you wonder stacy come on in this is an intervention (laughs) (laughs) uh this is a story about coding anyway the point is i guess it it was a version of basic 
And it was really complicated. Like, I learned a little Python a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So much easier than the coding yeah, I used to do Python on the... Python uh, is what I use in everything we do on the, the pies, which, you know, Raspberry Pi. On the Raspberry Pis. I'm very much into. Well, it's funny you mentioned Raspberry Pis. Up until Raspberry Pis came out, the Commodore 64 was the highest selling machine in number of units mm-hmm. uh, in the history of personal computers. And then it got destroyed. <laughs> by the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> which I've put... I've bought... We figured out... Over 150 Raspberry Pis. No, we're talking about the computer. (laughs) (laughs) Four. (laughs) So, no, that was a lot of fun. It was fun. You know, I mean, it was very – it's like uh, Zork. Have you ever played Zork? Man. Games like that. So what was I just watching? And someone brought up Zork. It was on a TV show. And they're like, text-based games? Well, it's it's in Ready Player One, the book. It's No, not in... it was in, like, recently, as in, like, the last week or so. It's oh. funny you said that. We played Zork. I play, I play Zork on my Raspberry Pi. Thank you very much. There you go. It's so funny. I go, you wake up in a strange room. <laughs> Stab! <laughs> that doesn't compute. I'm out then. I, that's all I wanted that's to do. That's the most frustrating thing about Zork is all the things I want the character to do next, it yeah. doesn't recognize it does, as uh, command. It's not a known command. Yeah, well, I can't help it if I want to stare at him until it's uncomfortable. That's <laughs> what I want to do. <laughs> it makes you think of Big. Remember when he's trying to, in the movie, he's trying to play that game? Now, it yeah, actually yeah. had a graphical interface. It had a graphical That was interface. actually much more advanced than Zork, but the same kind of command. It was also more advanced than really kids were playing at the True, time. True, which is funny. You look at that and you're like, oh my god. I remember at the time going, my games don't do that. Yeah. I was eight. <laughs> Whatever future boy. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of computers and early computers, yeah. let's get to tonight's topic. Let's say together, Antikythera. Right, Antikythera. Antikith- let's let's go with Antikythera. Uh, the Antikythera crowd. Uh, you're just gonna. Have you guys to, are all right. You, just, you know we're, what? We're, I mean, we're fine with you, but don't get mad at us. And and this was looked up multiple times with multiple pronunciations. Even the and, little um, things on the web that like say things for you. Yeah, we here tried you go. that. Antikythera. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sure though the guy who found this thing. This is what I, it was found in a shipwreck. Was like found something. What'd you find? Um, found the thing. I'm not really sure. Well, it was found in a shipwreck, so it was more like glug, yeah. glug, 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 because right. they couldn't understand each other. <laughs> they <had> microphones. <laughs> they think they're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, what is this thing? Well, we keep saying computer. It's an ancient Greek analog computer and orrery, which is a word, <laughs> used to predict astronomical positions and eclipses for calendar and astrological purposes Actually, decades in advance. I knew what an orrery was. Whenever you're watching a movie... Where a kid, like the protagonist mm-hmm. of the movie, wins the science fair. He always, he always made an beats. Orary. No, he always beats the kid that has the volcano that erupts with the baking soda. Yeah, and the other kid that has an orrery of the universe. Yeah, it's a mechanical model of the solar system, or of just the sun, Earth, and Moon used to represent their relative positions and motions. So if you really call your dad and put a little crank on there, and you, you cranked it and it moved, <laughs> I don't know what your dad was up to. <laughs> Don't don't bite that crank. Hey, uh, this boat was retrieved from the sea in 1901 among wreckage retrieved from a wreck off the coast of the Greek island. Now, what do you think that Greek island was called? Greek island town. Ah, close. The island Antikythera. Antikythera. Yeah. Uh, And they were covered in 1901. Uh, These dates go back and forth because some people also say 1900. I think through my reading, I think what... I think they found the shipwreck originally in get it till 1901. Correct. So that's it's kind of like when uh, they'll find something at the bottom of the sea and they will go through a lot of crap 
because you can stake your claim and they won't actually start going there until they've staken the claim because that's where the money's at. And it also takes a while. When these are sponge divers, they were, you know, they were looking. Yeah, they they didn't even mean to be there, but they were they were just looking for sponges and they found this. Well, and they found it. And being sponge divers, it wasn't easy. The first exploration of the wreck killed one diver and paralyzed two others. Sweet. What? No, (laughs) no, it's not sweet. The juice has got to be worth the squeeze. All right. Ah, That's enough out of them. And since all the other artifacts were more apparently worthy of concern conservation the mechanism was kind of ignored until 1951 so this was not your typical shipwreck Uh, let's give some background here first all of the stuff on the ship were like ancient loot hellenic greek treasures it was like it was like like they're like hey let's move the museum oh shit it went down but it wasn't a greek ship it was a roman ship so this this goes back to a time period where the romans we're going to all the Hellenic societies and saying, hey, you know, all that stuff that's yours, that's that's kind of ours now. Mm-hmm. You want our religion, too? Yep. You can have it. We'll even let you rename them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, nice like so it a, it, it's thought to have been a Roman ship holding a bunch of Greek treasures. Yeah. And there was a lot of treasure on there. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to figure out that why they would ignore this thing that looked like a lump of mess. Yeah, it looked like trash. Right, literally. right, right. In the shipwreck, they found numerous artifacts. By the middle of 1901, they had recovered bronze statues. Uh, one of them was called the Philosopher, if you've ever seen that one. Another one, the Youth of Antikythera. It's thought to have been around circa 340 B.C. 36 marble sculptures, including Hercules, Ulysses, Diomedes, Hermes, Apollo, along with three marble statues of horses, a bronze lyre, and several pieces of glasswork. This was really expensive stuff. Now, do you still play the lyre, or have you moved on to the lute? Uh, so, my lyre-playing days are past me. So, d- th- that bard school didn't really pay off? <laughs> still paying the tuition. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone have any mead? Yeah, exactly. That was about all the sponge divers got, but we're going to hear another name in this story, and you've probably heard him a lot. Jacques Cousteau. Cousteau. Remember the 80s, and he was all over. Jacques Cousteau was always finding something or on TV. He was an underwater adventurer, and he had a French accent. Americans loved him. Yeah. So old Jack here, he went back to the wreck in the 1950s, digging up four whole planks, ceramic jars, bronze and silver coins, pieces of bronze and marble sculptures, bronze statuettes, uh, lots of pieces of gold jewelry, and even human remains of the crew and passengers. Two things to note there. One, we said coins. Those come up later. That That's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, you mentioned hull planks. Something this old, like from, I mean, we'll get into the dating in a minute. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking B.C. Any, it's one of those things. A that, shipwreck yeah. from B.C., the planks and how they built the ship is just as cool and important as a gold mm-hmm. statue. The ship itself is a treasure. You know, it's just this whole thing. It's one of those things you find it and you go, wow. It's, <laughs> it, it was so big, Brent, that they originally thought it was two ships. And there's a piece. The prow of the ship is still missing. They have not found it. They just know that through modern day science and recreating, they, they figured out that it is just one huge ship, which, which also tells us that they built bigger ships than we originally thought that they built. Right. Who'd have thought that we didn't know everything that they had back in the day? Which begs the next question, obviously, how old is it? Aren't you glad I asked? Uh, (laughs) The ship itself has been precisely dated to on or around 87 BC or 150 and 100 BC. Oh, so there wasn't a born on date. I gotcha. 
<laughs> or 205 BC. Yeah, yeah. Or within a generation uh, before the shipwreck, which has been dated to approximately 70 to 60 BC. Science just gets along here and they go, yep, we've got it. Well, the, and what we're talking about is the date of the actual ship, not, not the, the device. Stuff. Most of the stuff even to them was antiquity, you right, know, right, so right, that's right. Um, that's crazy. And after a bunch of study, the first publications on the Antikythera mechanism was made in 1974 by physicist and historian Derek DeSola Price, I believe as I'm saying that right, Derek DeSola Price. But anyway, he was the guy who kind of was like, hey, this is something the crap you left in the back room because you didn't think it was anything. When he released his study of it, he thought it was going to revolutionize the scientific and archaeological world. And everyone's like, oh, that's great. Moving on. He actually thought it was an original lament configuration. And he was trying to get the, the Hellraiser shit to happen here on Earth. And <laughs> we, were, we kept telling him, no, dude, no. But he was he was all about it. <laughs> Stop it. Um, You're not into the Cenobites? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. But we have such sites to show you. We mentioned earlier those coins. Yeah. This is what lends people to believe they think they know the date of the ship. Yeah. Because coins even back then were dated. Yeah, and they were they were in the crew's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can figure this one out. Thanks, One-Eyed Willie. Yeah, but it's it's been believed to have been designed and constructed by Greek scientists and not, in fact, and I'm going to say it right now, mainstream scientists and archaeologists will tell you it wasn't made by aliens, or at least that's what they want. You we to all think. know it wasn't made by aliens. The technology to make it was given to <laughs> us by aliens. That makes a hell of a lot more sense. Thank so you. we've. this is a very brief, <laughs> and now on to what actually matters. That was a very brief story about the, the shipwreck and stuff. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what this mechanism actually is. We return on Hysteria 51. I think uh, while we were talking about that, your dog farted. <laughs> yes, very much so. Why is he giggling? <laughs> Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, That's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages was yeah. the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it, so... It's very high on pronunciation, too, so <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And, you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's it, they design it for long-term retention, you know. It, and, yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do, and then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years, and there's over 25 different languages that you can learn, and people, millions and millions of users use it because, like you said, it does seep in, and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition, and mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use, like, the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient, and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value, and you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused. Or really cool. <laughs> I have to go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use, and we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term, and uh, it's something that uh, it works. 
you know, and we don't, yeah. we don't do long-term um, stuff like this. And this is, this is the one that we've chosen and we love it. So all you guys got to do, don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times. And it's always now, right now, get now. started. For Larry, limited time, his Air 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. How much? 50%. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're oh. 50% off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 50% off rosettastone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. <laughs> What have you been feeding that thing? It smells like baby food. He's on a strict diet of all Indian food. <laughs> Nation, we are back, and we are talking the Antikythera device mechanism. Yeah, so it's a thing. It's old. Let's talk, what did it look like, and what did it actually do, John? Like, what's this? What the hell is this mechanism, other than something that was found with a whole lot of shit that seemed to be a, of a lot more value? Okay, so it was it was a mechanism. It was a, a series. It was a metal thing that had a plate in it and some gears, and we'll get in more to that mm-hmm. later. All made of bronze. Yep. And um, specifically, when you look at bronze, it's obviously an alloy. They call it low tin bronze because it had a very uh, small amount of tin in it, mm-hmm. less than ten percent. They mm-hmm. say. Uh, and it was housed. <laughs> he did it again. He did. He did. Sorry, nation. Uh, but yeah, we got a puppy here, and he is. He's just letting them rip. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I want to blame conspiracy, but I. But man, uh, this so this thing was housed in a um, a wooden case. Yeah, kind of holding yeah. it all together. Uh, obviously, when they look at it today. 
there's no wooden case around it. Right. But there are little vestiges of wood, like exactly. so they know that it was there. The the big thing about it and the why it was we said it was found in nineteen oh one and then like in the fifties before anyone was really like, What is this? Because it was in one big lump and encrusted is the best way to say it. And almost melted together. Yeah. Like not from heat, but just from like yeah, just being time the, and disintegration yeah. and So later though, it was separated into three main fragments, which are now divided into eighty two separate fragments, which they square is due to conservation work and not because janitor Bob knocked it over one night and goes, Whoopsie oh, I fair uh, Turns out there's 82 pieces, not just three. <laughs> you guys didn't see those other 80 before? Yeah. That's weird. Other small pieces really have broken off in the interim before they really knew what it was from cleaning and handling of it. Yeah. You well, know? I, um, they say anything in general from a shipwreck will stay like together pretty well under the water. And then the moment you pull it out of the water, they house it, it in water in a lot right. of times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Still, other pieces have been found on the seafloor, like we said. Cousteau found some. They found some other pieces later, which is crazy that they're kind of like, it was right over here. Oh, here's a cog. <laughs> here's another gear over here. We missed it the first time. And because because there are so many pieces missing, and also because there were so many um, treasures and siftings mm-hmm. and everything taken from the, the seafloor where the shipwreck was, they think that maybe more of the fragments might still be in storage, undiscovered yeah. since their initial recovery. In fact, that happened in 2005. They found another fragment. Of the 82 known fragments, seven are mechanically significant and contain a majority of the of the mechanisms and We'll get more on this later. Inscriptions. Right, right. There's also 16 smaller parts that contain pieces of inscriptions that they can't really make out. But there was a lot of stuff going on with this thing. Four of these fragments contain gears. Lots of parts, like we said, have inscriptions. And the largest gear is approximately 5.5 inches in diameter and originally had 223 teeth originally. Before they fell out. Always brush, folks. (laughs) So think of it kind of like a, a clock almost. When I was looking at this, that's really what it was. Like, not like, not like your Timex, those antique, incredibly detailed clockmakers like they do back in the past. Right. A lot of the way that they've looked at this thing and figured it out is by using the same methods that clockmakers use to figure out things. Because when you look at an old clock, someone brings in a clock to you and they say, well, here's a clock and it doesn't work. And my grandpa tried to fix it in 1900 and he took it apart and i don't know if all the pieces are there there are still people out there that can go i can fix it but they look for these telltale signs in the tooling and things like did that. you ever listen to the podcast uh s-town no the one of the main guys in that podcast john well his name was john i'm forgetting mm-hmm. his last name he was one of those guys and so oh they, a clock worker and just was really into that stuff and knew a lot about him mm-hmm. they interviewed people that he interacted with mostly even on the internet it only met in person a few mm-hmm. times because there are so few of them in the world left today that they can look at those yes look at, look at that and go i can fix it so we watched the documentary it was like a four-part i only watched two parts on jobs that are needed but are disappearing that was one of them. the other one was diamond like the the old school diamond polishers and cutters that will work with like there's only like a few guys you take giant diamonds to you know what I mean? Right. Who can they they can read the grain, I think is how they called it, and know how to cut it and stuff like that. And it's it's like as much art as it is being able to do something, you know? And these people are just going by the wayside. Well, what we're getting at is they used a lot of that same technology to try to figure out and and they did figure out what was going on you, with this mechanism. You know another job that's 
slowly disappearing, and and I frankly I haven't been able to find one yet. Oh Lord, what good podcast producers? Yeah, I was waiting for it. Yeah, waiting for that. <laughs> so it's also composed of at least thirty meshing bronze gears. Meshing means they interlock; they're working with one another. So there's the way they figured out so much more about how many gears were in there and and potentially how they worked. This is not about the inscriptions yet, but just what the gears looked like. Running X-ray didn't work because X-rays don't they give you an idea yeah. of depth, right? So what they did, they used they used what they call a 3D X-ray, almost yeah. like a, um, like almost a topographical. Like a, um, it looks like a topographical map, really, but it's it shows depth, like a CT scan. Almost. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And and the funny story is these guys that had that done, they're like, we have a machine that could really give us some insights into this. And they said it to the museum in Athens, I think we'll mm-hmm. get to it later in the show. I think it's in our notes. Finally made it. They said that we can really help yeah. here. Can, can you have someone bring it to us, ship it to us, mm-hmm. whatever. And they're like, Nope. <laughs> so they took this huge machine. That's probably the size of the studio. Yeah. And shipped it over <laughs> to Greece Along with themselves to do this, this literally analysis is one of those things that is priceless. Right. I know that's a word that gets thrown around, but this really doesn't have, you can't, I, you could, but it's a lot of money. It's probably worth more to someone not to sell it than it is. Like, this is a great thing. So anyway, there was a team that did this. It was Mike Edmonds and Tony Freeth of Carthage University. And they're the ones who use this x-ray tomography and high resolution service scanning to image inside fragments of this and like we said, it was this crust encased mechanism and read really those, the, 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 the smallest, faintest inscriptions and that once well, covered, after they did you know, the parts in the outside. They also used another machine. And I don't know if this was the same time or a different time. They used another machine called the Blade Runner. Oh man, where it actually convinced the mechanism that it was not also real, a mechanism. but it had its memories implanted and was going to die soon. And it was sad because it knew that it would disappear like tears in the rain. Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> Enhance. <laughs> the machine was called the Blade Runner, and it was th- that machine was actually originally designed to find... To shoot its girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it was actually it was originally designed to find tiny superficial cracks in uh, airplane parts. Oh, okay, okay. They could use that on the space station where they found that hole in it that they think might have been sabotaged. You hear about that? I did, but we all know that was aliens. Well, that's true. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So they that was what it was originally used for. So it had the highest definition possible. So it was able, and it found those inscriptions you're talking about. Right. What did it say? Said uh, we. I actually have a picture. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine, is what it said. Die in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with C-Bot on this one. So thanks to this imaging done, it's thought to have had 37 gear wheels enabling it. And the mechanism has three main dials, one on the front and two on the back. It's just, I I know we're doing a lot of of telling you what it is, but it's once we get into what it did, it's pretty ingenious. And the person who made it is wow. And the the coolest part about this, the reason that we're able to know so much about it is those inscriptions that the blade runner read Mm -hmm. were literally directions. And Mm -hmm. here's what this wheel does. Yep. Here's what that wheel does. You need to correct for time difference. One fourth of a day, every 365 days. 
It literally said things like that. The on amazing part about that is that the, that they engraved it into the bronze because if it had been recorded in any other way, it would have mm-hmm. been lost to time. Mm-hmm. So the front dial is marked with the divisions of the Egyptian calendar, and inside there is a second dial marked with the Greek signs for the zodiac. So it was a magic eight ball slash horoscope. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. We're done. Show yep. over. Let's also talk about like we're about to get into all of the different things and measured. This the way in which it was not like a clock. It was not like a um, a George Foreman grill. Set it and forget it. No, this was more along the lines of okay because uh, it measured eclipses and everything else. This was much more of a prediction machine. This goes. This is what you would do with this. I'm the person who runs it. I want to know. Hey, Bill. I want to know when is the next eclipse. All right. Well, do you know today's date? Yep. Here we go. And once you knew like that, exactly. first, and they'd also be like, and also it's going to be this and this and that and this and that. And w- uh, when's the next full moon? Well, Lots. that's here. Uh, and I got four more cranks and, and two pushes on this dial. And it, it was like a Rube Goldberg machine all all encased in a little thing. It just did, you had to like move everything to this part, to this, to that. It is ingenious. It let's, really, really was. And let's get into those movable parts. Yeah. Um, the front dial probably had three hands on it. One showing the date. Two others showing the positions of the sun and the moon. Mm-hmm. The moon indicator is ingeniously adjusted to show the anomaly of the moon's orbit. So the moon has a weird an- uh, anomaly and in that its into consideration. Oh my god! Which they said just in and of itself, turning that into it, the trigonometry needed to work out what those gears pass is astounding. It's really astounding when you learn a little bit more that we're going to tell you in a bit about when it came from. The front dial. The future. <laughs> <laughs> the front dial also includes a second mechanism with a spherical model of the moon that displays its phase. So there was literally a little uh, marble, let's say, for lack of a better term, that looked like the moon. And as you turn the dials for the dates, it waxing, waning, yeah. full, half, mm-hmm. moon, etc. There's a reference in the inscriptions for the planets Mars and Venus. And it would certainly have been within their capabilities to 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 make this mechanism include gearing to show the, their positions of each. It's funny you say that. There's actually some speculation that the mechanism may have had indicators for the five planets known to the Greeks at that time. Now, I do find that interesting that, you know, the aliens only let them know about the five planets. Yeah, why wouldn't they have told them about the rest? <laughs> yeah, you know, we all know that, they're well, the ten and then our, our sister star nemesis. Was, um... Pluto was still sitting in the corner getting angry. They're just Planet X and and whatever else that we want to, you know. You know what? They were down with Pluto. Let's just say that. You th- oh, you think they were Pluto believers? Well, they didn't know about Pluto yet. I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm done. All right. So uh, also the front dial included uh, a parapegma used to mark the rising. And That's the- what you get a shot for, right? When it burns when you pee, pa- parapegma <laughs> comes out. You've had enough of those that I would have thought you'd know the name by now. <laughs> The parapegma was used to mark the rising and the setting of specific stars. Each star is thought to have been identified by Greek characters, which cross-reference details inscribed on the mechanism. The upper back dial is in the form of like a spiral with 47 different divisions per turn. And what that did was display 235 months of the 19 metonic year cycle. This dial yeah. contains a smaller subsidiary dial, which displays the 76-year calypic cycle. Both of these cycles are important in, in both fixing calendars. Fa- calendars always get off yes, in and fixing them. So not only was it fixing, it was fixing multiple calendars. Correct. So this thing worked for like, oh, yeah, so <laughs> what's your religion? Okay, your date is 
blah, right. blah, blah. You know what I mean? That's exactly it's right. It's kind of like now, which we have the, the Gregorian calendar. The correct then, one. Yeah. <laughs> well, then if you're Jewish, Hebrews, they use a different calendar. So, but, you know, we're. And then there's the Chinese calendar. Yeah. Which, because, you, you know, know, you talk about Chinese New Year. This things is the like that. year of the. Um, I was born in the year of the monkey. Uh, I was born in the year of the, the goat. Uh, both of those sound accurate for some mm, reason. Because I'm a, a black sheep, baby. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> don't fucking make it. No. I heard her sigh, and it was just her eyes rolling. <laughs> it was that loud. <laughs> you know what calendar it doesn't take into account? Wait, one. The missing time calendar. Oh, man. I tell you what. Probably because it hadn't happened yet. Well, it but... hadn't. Yeah. Th- these people were pre-lie. <laughs> pre-lie. <laughs> Also, the the really cool part about the the two hundred and thirty five months that I, what they figured out way back then was that that tied into how often eclipses happen, mm-hmm. and and they were able to predict eclipses. You got to think about that. Someone started writing down what the moon looked like every day for years, literally. Yeah, and then they go, "I'm seeing a pattern here," which means someone had to go through Gary's notes and be like, "Huh." This thing reads like stereo instructions, but I'm learning from it. And chances are, the other interesting thing about this, chances are Gary was a Babylonian. The Babylonians yeah. had all of this information, and the Greeks were borrowing yeah. from it. Uh, there, there was he, yeah, also the, they worshipped Gozer, the Gozerian. The Babylonians did that. That is the second Gozer reference in this episode. It's almost like and I'm you getting have, at something. You have tripled the number of Go- Gozer references no, on the Gozer internet. Gozer is always in your heart uh, on the internet this week. <laughs> <laughs> there, I did. For, I did forget to mention one dial. There was literally a dial tracking the Olympic Games. Huh. That's not a joke. That's for real. I'm not yeah. kidding. That's real. So, in other words, it was also the world's first sports calendar. Yeah, that should have been the one that Marty went back and stole <laughs> instead of the <laughs> Gray Sports Almanac. Gray Sports Almanac. <laughs> Mar- uh, back to the Future Four, the Antikythera device. Yeah. Um, so much of this was studied by the second century. Uh, much of the stuff that we just talked about yeah. was studied by the second century BC astronomer Parcus of Rhodes, I believe, was his name. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it looks like <laughs> let's just call him Parcus of Rhodes. Yeah, it's actually speculated that he have, may have been consulted. They don't think he made it, but he was definitely they think consulted in in making this thing. If the timing lines up, we're going to get into more. Well, there's always those, about you the know. timing. So why does it matter, Brent? Well, the knowledge of this technology, if the timing and if it's as old as they say, was lost at some point to antiquity. And technologies that works approaching this kind of complexity and definite craftsmanship do not appear again until the development of mechanical astronomical clocks in Europe in the 14th century. The 14th century. That's hell of an oops. Where did I put that paperwork at? You know what I mean? That is, uh, wow. When you think about the advances that it, that mankind, the civilization had made to create the Antikythera device, it should have been one of those things that they, they have and then they build on and then they build on again. If they had, if they had continued to build on this know-how and this technology, we would have like we would at least have flying cars by now. Here's the problem: war is a hell of a drug, and that is what causes a lot of problems on. No, this it's planet. true, but I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not like a futurist, but like imagine, I would love to talk to a futurist who also specialized in like ancient times. I I I want to see the 
adjusted timeline for when we first oh uh, yeah when we first have airplanes when we first reach the moon we never we, were, if, we never sacked the library at alexandria we never lost this type of knowledge where would we be where right? would we, yeah i mean we would certainly we didn't call science demonic and and burn Don't you people think for doing interstellar it? travel is probably in the wheelhouse well, we probably had it the, you know we had it back we then it. everyone knows that <laughs> don't be stupid the uh the user's guide for our yeah. air, for our airships was at the library at alexandria <laughs> but in all seriousness this is so far advanced the fact that it took another 15 16 1700 years to recreate this this level of of achievement is mind-boggling and just shows how far we regressed before we adv- advanced again. Yeah. The thing about it is all known fragments of the Antikythera mechanism are kept at the National Archaeological Museum in Athens. Like you said, they don't move it. Along with a number of artistic reconstructions or replicas of how the mechanism may have looked and worked. You should look this up because there are a lot of videos. You know, you sent me one today. It's I prob- watched the one another I sent you one. is the best one I've seen. It is. So the one that I watched, you sent me one that with it looks exactly how they they thought it was i watched one made out of acrylic so you could see the internal mark that was actually pretty ingenious in and of itself too you can see when you turned what it did you should go look at this because it's really interesting to see it looks like a box with a couple of of, of cranks on it so a big shout out and thank you to our friend friend of the show ben bolin from stuff they don't want you to know never heard of him or it especially that show right (laughs) one of these days if they keep trying they might make something like hysteria 51 keep chugging boys (laughs) keep chugging ben sent me a link for um this guy showing his fully functional replica yeah the guy's name is michael wright and he is what the big thing is he made the first fully functioning they think it does everything that this thing did watching him use this thing is amazing it looks so complex. You're like, I wouldn't even know how they'd begin to do it today. So when you think about everything the thing did, all of the interactions, it had to account for so much math. Right. And it had to account for that math by the measurements and the size of those gears mm-hmm. that all turned. You know, the larger you make a gear, the longer it'll take to mm-hmm. circle around and so on. And for someone to have the knowledge, the know-how, and the ability to do that, I, I don't mean because... It happened back then because their brains were just as big as ours. I just mean. There, I just made one. (laughs) (laughs) This is a can of Lysol and you drew a clock on it. You are just too stupid to perceive its finer functions. That's literally. It's literally a can of Lysol. Dude, he's just jealous. We're literally talking about something that's over 2000 years old and far more advanced than he is. Um, dumbass. I was there when we made it. There's a stopover on his way to uh, Gobekli Tepe. One of these days, we're going to have to dig into his history because you say you made him a couple years ago and he says he's timeless. We got to figure out where the truth therein lies. Just know the truth can't be unknown once you learn it. That doesn't even make no. sense. No. Have you been letting him read <laughs> Von Daniken again? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Oh, man. So, anyway, moving on. All right. So. Guys, what we're saying is it's really, really, really complicated, and they built it a long, long, long time ago. And uh, by the way, go search for that guy's uh, just show, go, Michael Wright. Uh, go search for Michael Wright's reproduction. It's it just amazing. Goes to show you how freaky smart some people are out there. When you go, this took an astronomical amount of knowledge to do, and somebody goes, "Yeah, that is crazy." Here, I made one in my basement. Literally, he made it at home. 
There's one made out of Legos. Right? It doesn't it, necessarily look like they think it looks. But it works. But it works. That's crazy. They made a car out of Legos recently. Um, some out of me, though. Does the, it work? Yes, and it drives. Oh, yes, God. Drives. All right, so speaking of who built it, we're going to get into that, but we're going to do it after the break on Hysteria 51. <laughs> So we told you what it was there. How did they actually do it? We said there's cranks and stuff. Like we said, and now we're stressing this, Google a picture of what it actually looked like. But as we mentioned, it was designed to specifically monitor celestial events, seasons, festivals, including the Olympics, stuff like that. To get it going, the first thing you had to do, rotate the Egyptian calendar ring to match the current zodiac points. Right. There was a hand crank that allowed mm-hmm. you to adjust it forward and backward. That's yeah, it was had, a small little Remember, it was a predictor... Um, it, it, it fed out the information. If X, then Y. It was right. not like so many people, things I've read, they, they try to make it sound more like a clock. No. Like no. It, it didn't tick. It wasn't. It, and it, you didn't have to wind it every once in a while. You had to wind it every time you wanted to use it. Right. Because yeah. you, you weren't, you were winding it to give you the answer to a question. So you did. You, you turned this crank and that moved the pointer on the front dial, which was set to the correct Egyptian calendar day. The year's not selectable. So it's necessary to know your year currently set. Or by looking up the cycles indication by the various calendar cycle indicators on the back in the Babylonian Ephraimus tables for the day of the current year that's set. Since most of the calendar cycles are not synchronous within the year, you had to know all of these things. So simple. Meanwhile, most people were eating dirt and wiping with their hands at this time. But go on. He's right. <laughs> like when we, when we say you had to know what year it was. There was a big part of humanity. There who was couldn't one tell you. guy. You had to, remember. Remember when you said you used to go to your your preacher and be like, "What's the the calendar?" Because he's what's the date? He's the only guy who knew. You know the actual date, right? Well, also the only guy who could read. Yeah, and then you crank that thing every time you turn that crank. It was a seventy eight day for a full rotation. So you had to know what you're doing. The action of uh, turning the hand crank would also cause all those interlocked gears within the mechanism to rotate, resulting in simultaneous calculation of the position of the sun, the moon, the moon phase, the eclipses that we talked about, the calendar cycles, the, the, uh, the Olympic they, games. They think the, up to five planets. They know of two and where they actually would be in the sky. All of that interlocking at the same time with just gears. It's amazing. Yeah. Also, for shits and giggles, the operator had to be aware of the position of all the spiral pointers on the back of this thing, too. You could literally go on for hours. Like, it was very intricate and also not the easiest thing in the world to use. But there's also so much speculation on all of its function and how incredibly advanced it had to, or they had to be in the knowledge to make it. How advanced? Like we talked about that guy, a fully functioning Lego one was built in 2010. And like we said, also that guy, he has the only one, but these 2010 is when these started coming about, not 70 BC or 205 BC or anything. BC, you had to get a new calendar when it switched. You had to get a new clock and everything when it switched (laughs) over. You know what I mean? So long time ago. So this alleged computer was like an all-in-one calendar slash solar map slash horoscope slash lint brush slash floor waxer. Exactly. In other words, Seabot, it did more than you do. That's not hard, though. I mean, but it did keep them on. Tra- it, it did allow them to know the day, the month, the year, all at the same time, along with the position of the sun, everything we've talked about. 
it was really complex and ingenious mm-hmm. and way ahead of its time. And like we said, the tech was promptly lost for <laughs> one reason or another uh, to probably war, like you said, Brent. Yeah, yeah. Insert crazy reason because there's always something. You know, uh, there was a drought that year and everyone had to move and they didn't take the information and then a generation later it was lost or they ate too much bread and got ergot poisoning or something like that you know <laughs> which is a legitimate yeah so here's the big let's get to it who made this thing well the short answer is we don't know yes we do i did you are again you are less complex than this thing you did not make it well i mean Trying to understand him might be more complex than this thing. <laughs> Maybe his emo- yeah. the emotional roller coaster that he is. The, but. Pro- the problem with this thing, though, is there is no hard evidence identifying a particular maker. There's a lot of speculation, though, and it's thought by some that it was probably made by someone of. We talked about this guy before this this Hippocras school. This hip Hippocras. It's I'm gonna spell it for everyone. H i p p a r c h o s. Now it's not the hardest name we've come across this on this show, but it's the hardest one for us, right? That it was that Greek astronomer, geographer, and mathematician of the Hellenistic period, and he was probably born in part of what is now Turkey, and probably died on the island of Rhodes. He's known to have been a working astronomer at least from 147 BC to 127 BC, and he's considered the greatest astronomical observer, and by some, the greatest overall astronomer of antiquity meaning he was he was the granddaddy of astronomy so it checks a lot of boxes there is a problem due to some recent things they found and discovered it was probably created before that so even Mm -hmm. though he checks a lot of boxes they're wondering if he could have actually done it if they're correct in some of these assumptions amazing because he's the granddaddy and yet all this had been figured out before him if that's true that's exactly right. You yeah. know, but you know who it might have been, Brent? I'm Brian Fellows. <laughs> no, not not Brian Fellows. Anyone else, that. John? I'm David Pumpkins. It was a joint effort. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are both true revolutionaries. No, but seriously, though, just luminaries of our time. <laughs> this guy, he had his own school. He was teaching all these people, and that's the a lot of people go. It had to have been him who invented. <laughs> invented wrote the book so to speak on astronomy and all this stuff or one of his students and they go no it's probably a lot older than him that's they, when the w- aliens come in no 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 they always they, come in john <laughs> not not like thousands of years older than that no, but no, 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 a, a hundred or two yeah uh they think it could have been archimedes or at least archimedes influenced it here's the thing we mentioned before that it was on that 19 year cycle that had something to do with eclipses and I'm going to butcher this, but bear with me, kids. If it had something to do with that and seeing how many they had on there, the scientists were able to basically go, okay, which one was missing? Which one would so be the... Has to have a starting point. Which one would be the starting point? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And guess which... And, and they figured it out to the starting point would be 205 BC. Specifically, I'm not kidding you, they got May 12th, yeah. 205 BC, according to our calendar. Which is funny. It, it, it Literally, for it to work, it has to have a starting off point, a jumping off point. If that's the case, then Hipparchus could not have been involved in it because it already existed. Yeah, exactly. But you know who died seven years before 205 BC? Who might that be? Archimedes. Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, something like this would obviously take decades probably back then to put together. He could have been influencing or directly involved in the creation right. of it. What it does tell us, though, if it really came from 205 BC, 
It did not use Greek trigonometry. It had to rely on Babylonian arithmetic alone. Which means a lot of uh, trial and error. Because <laughs> they hadn't really figured out trigonometry yet. Well, another... uh, or, the, or they figured it out to make this thing. We've only found this one. Right? We haven't found any others. We haven't found uh, later versions or earlier versions. But because it was so perfect and so in-depth, mm-hmm. you have to guess that this wasn't the only one. Right. This was the creme de la creme, right. maybe. You, you know? Or at least at least not the or first a, one. The be- Maybe it was the beta. I'll give him the bad one. <laughs> this, the, one this was the, a little chunky. You got to keep putting whale fat in it for it to turn right. You know? Or a good one. like Which I really think they must use something to, to oil this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, metal on metal. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. The, but think about this. <laughs> if this wasn't the... What did the good one do? Levitate on its own? Right. The point is that assuming that it's as old as they guess it to be, not only were the advances that they made in both the ability to machine intricate parts mm-hmm. and the ability to keep track of all this stuff so much far advanced than than we originally thought, they also probably made a bunch of them. I'd buy that for a dollar. No, John, no, because we know that it was given to us by aliens. They knew we were dumb, so they only put five planets in there because that's all we knew of. They like to keep a mystery, and they gave it to us knowing that it would be promptly lost when they sunk this ship with all the good stuff, knowing that we would dig it up one day and be like, what the hell? And right now they're giggling going, <laughs> dumbasses. A version of what you just said is really what Eric Von Daniken believed. Very much so. He said this Except is- for he said it. With a lot more racial slurs. Yes. Okay, I don't, I don't want to go off on a tangent here. But I'm going to go off on a tangent But I'm going to go here. off on a tangent here. A lot of the ancient alien stuff, not the show. I'm not saying this about Giorgio Tsoukalos or that show. But a lot of the ancient alien stuff, going back to Von Daniken, is really an excuse to say brown people are dumb. Well, the problem, yeah, the problem he had is a lot of people started to figure that out, so he rewrote some of those books. And he, took oh, I the, didn't know that he he took the question mark off of uh, chariots of the gods too. So you know, <laughs> it's been taken away from very much so, like you said, uh, and this anti-Semitics and and oh yeah, there's no way, anti- yeah, there's no way they could have done it yeah. because they were brown, like you said, and and so you know they were somehow inferior. Uh, and that's to again the the to, von Donnekin, yeah, right? And I'm not going to say he didn't bring. He brought a lot of important thinking out. In you know, right. at least this people, line of thinking isn't 100 percent wrong. Yeah, the, the possibility that aliens exist and the possibility that they visited here mm-hmm. back then and gave us things. There's nothing wrong with exploring that. Mm-hmm. It's just that some people explored it for the wrong reason. Yeah, that's the point. Exactly. So we're lucky enough to even have found this thing. It was the sponge divers found a Jacques Cousteau really dug into it. And like you said, is there's two shipwrecks? Is there only one? They're still diving it. And who knows? And if you know, there's another expedition even, that was going out in like 2015, even. 2016. I know that or they 2016. Were, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. There's still what I'm getting at is it's still being worked on. Hopefully we'll find more. And who's to say we don't dig one of these up one day? I think we will. I you honestly know? believe that there is a version of this that either came before or after that we that hopefully wasn't lost to time, to mm-hmm. the sea, to... I feel like we're beating a dead horse here, but we keep finding these things where they go, well, this shouldn't be here, but it sure was. That's and because all not- of us, and we're all guilty of this, you know, we talk about people who are either racists or this or that or... We're like timists. I don't know yes, what the... We're like nowists. We're like, yeah. no one's as smart as I am. No, oh, that guy's... Our culture today yeah. has to be the smartest one ever. And while we've made more advances, the size of their brain was the same as the size of ours. I was just reading where this this tribe out of the rainforest somewhere, I can't remember where, 
they just sat down with him and they had their their shaman their their medicine man and they wrote a thousand page journal of all of his medical what they treat stuff and they're looking through it and going that's really the same way we treat stuff like the <laughs> stuff that's in these leaves and stuff are like the derivative they yes, use the, or they use the cocoa leaf to alleviate pain oh it turns out cocaine's anesthetic too yeah, yeah that kind yeah, of thing or stuff like well we never thought about that we're gonna actually look into this because you might be on to something here and also they haven't had cancer ever you know what i mean stuff like that oh you it's know? like uh remember the old it's a horrible movie the old sean connery movie medicine man where the, the ants were in the sugar. The, the, yeah. Exactly. Yep. The tree bark or whatever it was, but it yeah. was the ants. It was the, uh, yeah, the, the, the key to it was he had ants in the sugar bowl. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy and he was trying to protect the rainforest right. and, and he gave the last dose to the person who was dying of cancer. So he lost it, but then they found it at the very end because Sean Connery. The ants were in the sugar bowl. <laughs> so, Kang, had you guys heard of this thing? I, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And um, maybe we didn't give aliens a fair shake here because I, you know what threw it out for me? You know when I said, no, it's not aliens, when they, when they said it only had five planets? I go, why would they only give us five then? Unless they knew something that we, or they maybe they tugged those new ones in since then. <laughs> I mean, that's where I was going to go. And like, well, when they brought the new version of the moon in, which is actually their spaceship, they were towing Pluto behind it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And no, no, no mention of which Nemesis, Pluto, like I said. Pluto, you'll always be a planet to me. <laughs> it's like someone was like, I was big enough for your mom. <laughs> your mom called me a planet. <laughs> On that note, Nation, tell us what you think. Were you familiar with the Antikythera device? Have you read about it? Uh, definitely do yourself a favor and go watch that video. Maybe we'll post it in the nation when we release yeah, this episode. Definitely, definitely. Um, speaking of the nation, if you're not part of our online discussion group, go to facebook.com, search Hysteria Nation. That's where we talk through all of these topics and a whole lot more. Also, you can tweet to us at Hysteria51Pod. Follow us on Instagram. Look up Hysteria51Podcast. Reddit. We've got our own subreddit. Let's get some talking on there. It's mostly just me posting stuff and the occasional back and forth with some people. Let's let's get that hustling and bustling, right? It's kind of fun sometimes. And kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, that's more both. 4chan. 4chan's the scary one. No, that's not kind of. That is. <laughs> I, and I'm also on the dark web as... <laughs> Everyone get out your Tor browser. Yeah, exactly. So the onion side is... No. If you want to hear yourself on the show, leave us a voicemail. 773-669-7277. One more time. That's 773-669-7277. 7277 and, and Brent, we've got some would you say that we have a plethora we we have been falling behind we have several so without further ado here we go the men in black are censoring you whoever you are <laughs> and like i said we'll play anything <laughs> so i'm not sure what that, that was if you recognize your own voice there call back yep here we go number two fellas We'll try this again. Yes. <laughs> Corey in central Illinois. Uh, I probably should have said that just to make Brent guess who I was. I know who you are, Corey. But I finished the USO episode, and i got to tell you, I've just been stewing on this. Uh-oh. I think it's time to get rid of Seabot. Oh! Um, he's missing dynamic drop-in opportunities. I mean, Brent talked about combing the ocean floor, and there was not a single... <laughs> Spaceballs reference <laughs> that ensued. We ain't found shit. <laughs> it broke my heart. Seabot. If we got rid of him every time he screwed the show up, I'll still listen. He would have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> Even if I have to put up a Seabot. Gentlemen, 
keep up the great work. You know, I'm a fan. You know. You know what? I know you don't count to three at the end. <laughs> I wonder why it cuts off like that. I really wonder why. I don't know. The oh, man well. trying to bring us it down. Is. That's Corey. He's, uh, he's, I don't know if that's his first Long-time time calling listener, in. Long time listener. He's in the Hysteria Nation. Great, great individual. And uh, and he called back when it didn't work. So that was awesome. I was afraid that whoever the first God one bless was. God him for knowing it didn't. Yeah, right? Hey, guys. Just wanted to let you know I really like your show. It's really cool. Um, I was one of your younger listeners and oh. 17, living in the upper, lower, somewhere around there, fourth dimension, Naperville. <laughs> fair. Oh, Naperville. It's really cool to listen to your show. I want to tell you right now, you live in Naperville. You're snotty. I've already decided no one likes you. Snaperville. You see, you're just rude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lisa's gone, maybe. No, we go out to Naperville and go drinking sometimes. You're like some you're friends. like one of those people that live in Logan Square. Like no, nothing's I'm, I'm as not. cool. No, nothing's not. as cool as Berwyn. You would never find me in Logan Square, it's beneath me. <laughs> um I love what you guys do. Keep it up. That's awesome. And screw you conspiracy that. <laughs> the well guy's got done. a point. Well done. Thank you for listening. A younger, younger listener. You know what? So he was 17 and he's, he's local to us. Local. He's just a few miles uh, west of us. We got anyone younger? I hope he's spreading the good word about Hysteria 51 at Naperville High. I know my nieces and nephews have spread it in Wheaton. So <laughs> Wheaton High School. I imagine there's more than one Naperville High. I just don't know yeah. the names of them. That was 17. Who's younger? Call us now. Let us know if you're younger and your parents haven't told they you not to. Haven't figured out that you're listening yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Well, I learn a lot. Not on my watch. <laughs> All right. Let's do one more. Hello. My name is Borat. I like you. I like sex. Yeah. Very nice. No, I mean, just talking with you guys. Uh, I just want to let you guys know. No, I wasn't Borat. I was like, I thought my pussy magnet. Uh, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen does listen to the show. Yeah. In our hearts. Prove I'm wrong. Yeah. Prove, prove I'm wrong. Of the show. And, uh, Used to think that conspiracy about was saying meat sex at the end for <laughs> meat sex. So I just be left with the image of a robot just like having his way with a pork chop after every time I listen to your show. But um, other than that, you guys are doing awesome. <laughs> other yeah, than the I can't meat sex, the count off at the end so it doesn't get cut off. Hell yes, Andy! Well did it. done. That is hilarious. He's like, can you just think of this guy's like, yeah, I like this show, but stay woke meat sex. Like, is that like warning us? He's going to have sex stay, with us. Stay awake for it. Is that like a, a don't be an Al Snedeker? Though, let's be honest. He would never say that. The idea of humans uh, fornicating probably grosses him out. Damn straight. Yeah. 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 I, I could see that. Yeah. One more. Yeah, let's do it. Bonus voicemail. Uh, hello, my name is Sergey. No last name. We don't get last name in my town. Uh, <laughs> you said you want call from different country. I call from Russia. Uh, using town phone right now. Town uh, phone. Town rapist standing right behind me, so I got to make it quick. Um, yeah, I like show. It's hard to download in Russia. We have very, uh, as you would say, shitty internet connection. 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, lost spot on page. Was reading from Russian English dictionary. Uh, thank you very much for show. I really like. Please do Russian conspiracy. Uh, we did. We did the Dietlov Pass, and you only get one every two hundred episodes. That's right. <laughs> Not sure there is a lot of Russian conspiracy. Yeah, out but there. they're but they're all true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Russian. Here's the Russian fact book. I mean, conspiracy book. Actually, there is one that we're probably going to do fairly soon that could involve the Russians. Oh, the sicknesses at the Cuban embassy. Yes, yes. That, uh, the Russians could be involved in the that. old Cuban cough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, that's guys, what, uh, uh, when you go to the doctor, that's what they say. That's right. Turn your head in Cuban turn, cough. Turn your head in Cuban cough. That's if you're coming down with the meat sex. <laughs> <laughs> we still have a bunch more voicemails, but make sure you guys get them into us. Again, what's that number, John? 773-669-7277. So, guys, what we need you to do is bust out your your Legos, or your nondescript off-brand block building set of your choice and make us our own special hysteria mechanism. That's what I want. You can pull a crank, and I don't care what it does. I just want a mechanism of some sort. It tells you every time Conspiracy Bot's going to have a drink. <laughs> it just dings. It just, it just, you just turn a crank. <laughs> How about that? This thing's spot on. <laughs> every time the bell rings, Conspiracy Bot gets a little more hammered. Hell yes. <laughs> With that said, I've been Brent. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. <laughs> it was terrible. It was terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. <laughs> oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation. Or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.